Hey everyone, I am Alina Lehikoinen. And I am Barbara Ullere. And this is Canopy Conversations. Canopy Conversations is the brand new podcast by IFSA, the International Forestry Students Association, which is the largest international network of students in forestry and related fields. Today we're talking about the GLF Bonn 2020 Digital Conference and the Youth Forum organized together with Youth in Landscapes that both took place back-to-back at the beginning of June. As IFSA, we've been involved in GLF activities for a while now. Many IFSA delegations have attended GLF events, but the experience this year was unique in many ways and definitely different from previous events. GLF stands for Global Landscapes Forum, and it is the world's largest knowledge-based platform on integrated land use and sustainable landscape creation in order to fulfill the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Climate Agreement. GLF focuses on five tracks to reach these goals. These are food and livelihood initiatives, landscape restoration, rights, finance and measuring progress. YIL, short for Youth in Landscapes, is an initiative organized by the Young Professionals for Agricultural Development, the Global Agroecology Alliance and IFSA. Together, these organizations represent over 50,000 students and young professionals in landscapes. YIL is tied to GLF to ensure that the youth are included in GLF activities and forums. Through the YIL partnership and IFSA's collaboration with GLF, IFSA has been able to participate in GLF activities focusing on capacity building. Since the outbreak of the coronavirus, a vast majority of international conferences and events have been cancelled or postponed, either to the end of this year or next year. GLF Bonn 2020 and with it the Youth Forum were two of the very few external events that we as IFSA have attended because it was not postponed but taken online. This allowed almost 5,000 people from 185 countries to participate. For today's episode, we've invited Frederik Buchholz and Selina Schelle to talk about their experience at our first online conference. Hi, Frederik. Hi, Selina. Could you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Hi, thank you so much for having us here. I'm very, very happy to join with my colleague today this uh, podcast, uh, the second episode of it. And um, yeah, so my name is Frederik. As already said, I uh, grew up in Germany and I'm currently living in the Netherlands, where I'm pursuing a Master of Sciences in Environmental Policy at the Wageningen University in Research. And I did my undergraduates in International Forestry Ecosystem Management in Germany in the University for Sustainable Development, Eberswalde. And uh, yeah, currently, together with my colleague, Selina Schelle, under the International Processes Commission, I'm the head of the UNFF Subcommission and also the focal point of the major group Children and Youth to the United Nations Forum on Forests. And for whomever asks him or herself what the UNFF is, it is um, a platform, an international policy platform that searches for solutions to enhance sustainable forest management worldwide and reverse the deforestation patterns. Thank you, Frederick, for starting. Yeah, my name is Selina Schelle and I'm from Germany. My academic background is in economics, in which I earned a bachelor's at the University of Maastricht in the Netherlands, and in environmental governance, in which I earned a master's at the University of Freiburg in Germany. And yeah, I'm very passionate about landscape-based solutions and previously worked for IUCN in the field of ecosystem restoration and participatory landscape governance. I lived and worked in rural areas in Eastern Africa, 
to integrate the voice of indigenous communities into governance frameworks uh, for the achievement of sustainability. And yeah, these experiences inspired me to do my current research on the inclusiveness of small-scale farmer agroforestry business in Kenya. And as Frederick mentioned, we are the heads of the UNFF subcommission within IFSA and share the position as a focal point of the major group Children and Youth to the Uniform on Forest. And yeah, there we are supporting the inclusion of youth perspectives in the uh, UNFF to help ensure forests and other natural resources are sustainably managed for present and future generations. And in collaboration with other major groups who are also in the forum, we're seeking to contribute to the implementation of the United Nations Strategic Plan for Forests and uh, associated global and sustainable development goals. Could you share in what way you were both involved in GLF and also talk a bit about the role of IFSA in the event? Yeah, I I do think I kick off here because um, I think IFSA has been included in this year's uh, GLF to a great extent. For the one part, uh, Selena was participating as a representative of IFSA during the final panel discussion um, at the end of the GLF. But, and that was also one major part of uh, Selena and my work as part of IFSA, we collaborated with uh, the Youth in Landscape Initiatives for developing a workshop uh, for young people on landscape restoration during the youth conference uh, that took place the day prior to the GLF. And this kind of workshop on landscape restoration is for IFSA, but also it was for YIL, part of the capacity developing mission that we have. And at the same time, it is also one central aspect of Selena, my responsibility of the UNFF MGCY focal point position, because we really want to create practical learning experiences. We want to develop workshops, discussions. We want to prepare delegations to really enhance an understanding of environmental governance and policy processes. So this workshop has been a great opportunity for us to, you know, get to know how that works and collaborate with YIL and really represent IFSA strongly during this year's youth forum. And yeah, very briefly, um, practical information to this workshop we designed, it was kind of a role play simulation. So Selena and I, we spent hours in the internet researching ecosystem restoration cases from the real world. For example, the Murray-Darling Basin restoration that needs to be implemented currently across different states in Australia. And then we took these real world cases and we adapted them into cases that allowed for a simulation and the representation of four different stakeholders with very different interests, how to solve this ecosystem restoration uh, case. So we provided then also central negotiation questions, problems to be solved. And then um, workshop participants began to present their stakeholder positions and try to negotiate for a solution. And very briefly, a theoretical background here, um, we focused heavily on a landscape approach, which Selena and I see as you know, a participatory process with the objective to include as many stakeholders as possible into decision-making processes. And we do think that landscape approaches are a fitting tool for ecosystem restoration since ecosystems are especially degraded because, you know, people do not really talk to each other and there is always an unequal distribution of natural resource access, of responsibility towards them. And so we truly believe that restoration needs to be approached holistically through incorporating actively different demands on a landscape level. And to finalize, we really wanted to highlight with the workshop two elements that are required 
to really use landscape approaches in ecosystem restoration. And that is, on the one hand, how can natural resource governance be improved through addressing power, responsibility, accountability and rights, but also how can inclusive decision-making be achieved and where are the limits of inclusive decision-making? Would you also like to share a bit about the challenges you encountered organizing the workshop and talk about some of the solutions? Yeah, sure. Um, I would like to start with the solutions. Uh, so as Frederick mentioned, participants were assigned different stakeholder roles and worked together to identify challenges and opportunities to collaborate across sectors. And some of the outcomes I would love to share with you on how to achieve cross-sectoral collaboration and hence transformative change that we first need multi-stakeholder platforms where all stakeholders are equally represented. The Global Landscapes Forum is an example of this, and communication is the key. And it is essential that we understand each other and co-create a vision within stakeholder groups, but also between local communities and different levels of government, as well as NGOs and business. And another major aspect that is crucial is that indigenous knowledge and the integration of the local population into the design of landscape-based solutions is achieved when searching for ecosystem restoration solutions and that we should have a closer look at traditional communities and actually see what we can learn from them. And overall, I had the impression that the workshop revealed that the search for, of solutions for young people towards more environmentally friendly and also socially just society really became a way of life for young people. They really have a lot of great ideas and a lot to say. And it's really nice to give them a space like the like this workshop to yeah to share their experiences and speak up. And apart from some technical issues, challenges we were facing during the workshop um, were that several participants jumped off last minute or did not show up, which resulted in some stakeholder roles not being filled. So meaning a few participants had to take on two roles. Um, so we would advise if we were to do this again, to recruit maybe up to four participants for one stakeholder role and have stakeholder groups instead. And another challenge was that having really interactive conversations in such an online um, scenario was at times difficult. On one hand, due to internet connections going on and off, and on the other, because some people just wouldn't say as much as others. So one advice would be to maybe have a preparatory webinar with those who take on the facilitator role to ensure facilitation with a high and equal level of participation of everyone. Thank you, Selina, for the insight. That was uh, fascinating. I also really liked that one of the outcomes was that we should engage more with traditional communities. Selina, as mentioned, you participated in the conference in many roles, but one of them was as a participant. So could you talk about your experience as a participant? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I mostly participated in the daily youth shows in which uh, young people were sharing their insights and experiences on sustainable diets, food sovereignty, and how to reduce food waste, as well as restoration projects. And yeah, they were taking place every day. And yeah, the conference and in particular, the youth shows gave a really good insight into how we can change by starting from ourselves with presentations of practical solutions, which I thought was great. Uh, for example, how to do permaculture in your garden or on your balcony or recycling methods to reduce food waste. Yeah. 
the youth shows were actually my favorite part of the conference too. Um, this year's theme was food in the time of crisis. How does that relate to forestry and how heavily were forestry topics involved in the conversations? So, yeah, the way we eat and produce food has heavily impacted forests in the sense that a vast amount of forests have been degraded for agricultural purposes. And the conference sought to take a holistic perspective on food systems, whereby its impacts on land and people are an integral part of the picture. And the degradation of forest land for agricultural purposes has contributed to the extinction of thousands of species and also negatively impacted the lives of millions of people whose food consumption essentially depends on forest resources. So, yeah, another aspect is that deforestation, according to scientists, is is linked to the emergence of pandemics. So the loss of habitats resulting from land use change and more generally uh, the decline in biodiversity are definitely factors playing a role in the spread of emerging infectious diseases. So I would say that forest-related topics were touched upon during several sessions in the conference, but more indirectly by taking a holistic perspective on food systems and their impact on forests, including the people depending on them. For example, during one daily youth show on sustainable diets and how to feed the world without eating the planet, speakers emphasized the link between food consumption, deforestation, and livelihoods and advocated for more vegan and local diets as global supply chains and meat production are mostly associated with deforestation, environmental degradation, and unfair payments. So when buying food that has been produced locally, the money you spend circulates in the community, new jobs and markets are created and investment is happening. And another advantage of food production they talked about is that it is possible to trace production and that the production is closer to the local producer and farm population. So the use of environmentally friendly production can be encouraged by dialogue with farmers. To maybe add on here, because, you know, I was a very busy student during that week and I haven't had really the possibility to join many sessions. But I remember that I read a year ago a paper from C4 called Food Security and Nutrition. And they talked also specifically about like how forests can contribute to food security. And they talked about micronutrient deficiencies. So the deficiency in vitamin A, zinc, iron and stuff like that. And they say that this is normally a greatly overlooked problem. Um, that is connected to insufficient dietary diversity, but mostly we always look into, you know, the calorie intake. But micronutrient deficiency is a problem twice as big as calorie intake today. And what they found out is that the biggest or the largest source of like uh, micronutrient deficiency um, are fruits and vegetables. And those fruits and vegetables, they can also come from forest. And so They did an analysis of different um, papers, so they reviewed papers and they said that, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, there is a significant link between forest cover near villages and fruit and vegetable consumption, and therefore also the micronutrient supply, which then improves food security locally. And I found that very astonishing. It really inspired me to look differently on forests again. Thank you for this contribution to our conversation. Selina, you also joined one session as a speaker where you briefly touched on your main conference takeaways and learnings. Would you like to share some of these? Yeah, sure. So I felt that in several sessions, speakers emphasized that it is time for us to all realize the link between food production systems and the pandemic we're facing right now. 
and that the COVID situation really pushes us to pause and reflect on what we have done to Earth. And it's one of the greatest challenges that we have been facing in history, but it can also teach us to do things differently. And what I think came up very clearly over the past days is that we need to collaborate in order to achieve transformative change. And collaboration across sectors is the major recipe for human environmental and animal health. And this means including everyone in the conversation and leaving no one behind. But at the same time, having these discussions together can be very difficult. And we are yet to find out how to best create collaboration across sectors and cultures on a global level. Um, another takeaway is that we need to start acting from ourselves. We need to start from everyday action to feed a growing population without destroying the, the planet. And as individuals and consumers, uh, we should also take on a holistic perspective on what we eat and realize that our individual choices actually make a change and a difference. So the decisions about food affect farms, land and people, and we should take this into consideration on a daily basis. One thing that is usually very important in these kind of physical conferences is networking. Were there any possibilities for that this year? And what were other upsides and downsides compared to physical conferences or workshops? From you know a perspective of youth inclusion and capacity development, with a specific focus now also on policy conferences, on policy dialogues, like in the United Nations Forum on Forests, I would really say that, especially the experience we had this year with the UNFF, highlighted to me strongly the downsides of COVID-19. Because the forum was reduced to a half-day online session where our contributions have been uh, limited. And although civil society has in many ways already a limited impact on international processes uh, since you know sovereign states rule decision-making, these physical meetings were crucial because we as young people, we can participate in such places. And it allows us to make contacts, to develop new interests, to test ourselves in In speech writing, networking, I do feel it enables a greater understanding of the necessity and especially also the difficulty of diplomacy. And I do truly feel always afterwards inspired um, to take up then also a new challenge because I realize I'm not fighting alone in this. And all these capacity-related benefits that you can have from a physical conference, now specifically related to a policy forum, were not accessible this year. And I found it uh, a strong downside. Capacity development is definitely suffering um, when you don't have um, physical conferences. Yeah, maybe to look at the bright side of online conferences and to share some of my experience um, of this year's um, digital GLF conference, uh, where we were actually using um, a networking app called Rova, uh, which I thought was quite useful. Um, yeah, so so there are things that exist where you can where you can do networking um, despite not being fa in face to face interactions with people. But I also felt that these um, devices have their limits as well. For example, yeah, having more conflict prone discussions I think are are more difficult to to sort out in online conversations, and also really starting like a basis for networking where you really agree on okay so this is how we're going to maybe collaborate i think is a little bit difficult but 
starting to get in contact with people and yeah, getting answers for some questions you have, I think is definitely possible through um, an online online app such as Vova. And I guess another major advantage of, of online conferences is that we are using much less resources um, and it is much more environmentally friendly. And another thing to think about maybe is also when it comes to really outcomes of conferences um, or yeah, climate or environmental policy related conferences, which are often um, policy papers or declaration or resolutions, the outcome of what is in those resolutions may be quite similar in online conferences uh, compared to physical conferences. But I would definitely say the capacity development and interactions discussions are suffering from it. There's pros and cons, and maybe we just need to think about how to best go about online conferences and, and address the challenges we're facing with them at the moment. After considering all these pros and cons, do you think there's still a future for online conferences? And do you think they could and should replace some of the real-life conferences that we have nowadays? Selina and I, we had lengthy discussions on this because we're also not very sure where the future lies in um, I do I do truly think that where possible online conferences should be implemented also in the future. But hereby, I, I think organizers should critically reflect upon if it is really, really necessary to encourage hundreds of people to fly around the world. And does the outcome justify this and what could actually be undertaken to improve exchange and a feeling of togetherness, even in you know virtual ways of working? And I do feel that we are at the beginning um, of this transition into online conferences and that many, many more tools and strategies will come up in the future that enhance interactive possibilities between different participants, as Selina already mentioned. But I think also that wherever the voice of civil society must be heard and must be included, or where events are designed around community building, I feel that physical meetings should be preferred also in the future because this is just a more rewarding and motivating and inspiring experience. And I do also think that much more productive networking can take place uh, in person. Maybe to add on to this, if online conferences are to replace real-life conferences, it would be crucial to allow for small discussion rooms that enable a sufficient level of participation, interactive discussion, and also conflict resolution. I can imagine that having small interactive discussions, which at the same time is key for such a, a big event or conference, would need some sort of replacement, like you mentioned, small discussion rooms. Picking up on the point you raised before about online conferences having the same, more or less same general outcomes, but limiting the capacity building experience. How do you think can the design of online conferences be improved to allow youth to better benefit from them? I think that it is important to create space where youth can interact productively and intensely with professionals, but also other young people. And thereby, it should be ensured that topics are oriented and designed around the needs and desires of youth in a practical way. Obviously, that doesn't go for all sessions, but there should definitely be some that address the need of young people more directly. So when designing conference sessions that 
are meant to allow you to really benefit, one should ask what needs, interests, and resources do young people have and what information and tools do they need to address these issues? How do you think this discussion of online conferences and the development we're currently witnessing will influence the youth engagement in international platforms in the future? I mean, it's always a question about which platforms we, we're talking. And Selina and I, we are now very strongly involved in these policy development platforms, I would say, that take place. And I do feel that virtual ways of working together in these platforms um, allows for ignoring possibly the voice of civil society even more easily. And I do also think that transparency suffers and a lack of transparency always also results in, you know, a lack of trust into democratic processes. But then we also need to differentiate impacts a little bit because <laughs> it's it's very easy for me as a white European citizen to say, oh my gosh, um, transparency suffers. And, um, you know, and the civil society might not be easily engaged. But then the question arises about which civil society are we actually speaking here? Because I met in the past and also throughout this first year where I worked together with Selena, I engaged with many, many people with lower financial resources from states where their passports do not open up the border as easily as my German passport. And those people struggle already to participate in these meetings and might not even see a difference. Democratic and inclusive processes, I truly think, um, are not only challenged now by COVID-19, but by unequal financial resources by educational inequalities, but also racist practices at state borders. And I, I think we need to overcome this all together. And COVID-19 can worsen it. But maybe also to finish this answer off a little bit more positively, it can be also for virtual conferences or policy negotiations, it can offer an entry point for financially disadvantaged groups. If, you know, there is a correct communication, if other people know about what is actually going on, if they have access to digital means, if they know how to handle digital means, and if they have, you know, stable internet connections. Because the circle back to our workshop that took place during the youth conference prior to GLF, we struggled so much because many participants just simply didn't have a stable internet connection and couldn't participate correctly. So there are many things that can be improved, I would say. And the impacts that we feel right now and that could come up for youth in the future must be looked at in a differentiated way. Yeah, thank you. This was a very enlightening conversation. But now it's a very exciting time as we're moving on to the rapid-fire questions. These questions are supposed to be asked and answered a little bit more quickly, but we're not going to time you. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm so ready. Bring them on. <laughs> the first question is... What is one step that we can take towards a world that appreciates forests? Um, all right, all right. Time is running. Um, <laughs> have walked in a forest with friends and family members. I think that this is a thing you can do um, of yours. And just share um, with them how amazing forest ecosystems are and provide them with some stories of what is actually happening around them. And, you know, it's all about storytelling. I do think that this is a step we can all take towards a world that appreciates forest. I definitely think it's very useful to have conversations with people who may not have a connection with forests about how their everyday actions, such as food consumption, is impacting forests and how in turn this affects their lives too. So 
yeah, to just maybe spread this holistic perspective around um, with people. What can we as students and youth representatives do to help the planet? Um, become politically active, engage, you know, with the current problems together with others and don't be afraid when the first person claims you are too radical. Transformational change that is badly needed will not be achieved by backing down. And although, you know, many things seem depressing in our times, the surge of racism and environmental destruction, there also lies a great, great purpose in it for our actions. As Frederick said, don't be afraid to speak up for your opinion and ideas. Don't back down and never think that your solutions are not worthwhile because you're less experienced. Um, engage with others to exchange ideas and perhaps even build movements. Um, we've seen in the past and, and recent past, especially, uh, for example, Fridays for Future, it, it does work. And we can definitely have a great impact. And for what you don't even need others is starting from your own consumption to and to take a holistic perspective, as as I said earlier, and, and what we eat and realize that our individual choices do make a difference. Um, and last but not least, never give up. It is often frustrating, but yeah, just don't give up. I remember that you also mentioned this during the talk you joined at GLF that starting from your own consumption is really important and that this really was one of the main takeaways for you. And I remember you showing this glass of plant-based milk as an alternative to cow milk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I haven't been a huge milk lover, but I definitely drank milk uh, way too often. And you can find replacements um, for dietary products and meat pretty easily. I would say, if you try. Name one or two daily activities that you do to live more sustainably. All right. I'm not as advanced as Selena with respect to my milk products, but I strongly reduce my meat consumption. And, you know, last weekend I went to, I think, three different supermarkets because we wanted to make burgers. And I realized that there are eight different types of um, plant-based burgers already available in the supermarket. <laughs> Four of them were tasting really badly, Four of them tasted really, really good. So, um, you know, there is a way forward to me. And maybe at some point I, I stop again completely eating meat, um, but I do like the taste. But, you know, the, the possibilities we have nowadays are offering me a way out there. And, you know, the second thing, um, as a new Dutch uh, citizen, <laughs> I, I discovered the bicycle for me as a means of tra transport. And I really, really love it. A friend told me, you know, bikes allow you just for the right speed to enjoy the landscape passing by. So when you walk, it's too slow. When you drive by car, you're a bit disconnected and too fast. But the bike is the right speed. <laughs> so I'm really loving my bike right now. Yeah, I actually have a driver's license since I'm 18, but I'm always biking in cities. And I've lived in the Netherlands for a while where it's super easy to bike around. That has resulted in me not knowing how to drive anymore. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But yeah, otherwise, I'm trying to really eat local food mostly and reduce my meat consumption massively over the past years and try to insert some vegan days, like three to four in a week. And then permaculture. Um, Something I thought you can only do in your garden is actually also possible on your terrace. So I live in the city and have a big balcony and we have now salad, tomato, cucumbers, all sorts of herbs. 
So yeah, it's possible to do your own uh, gardening, even though you don't have one. I really find that burger test great. Can we do another podcast episode <laughs> where you come back just to talk about plant-based wow. burger alternatives? <laughs> <laughs> you now have so much experience on it. Uh, it's growing day by day. Yeah. Um, what does a typical forest of your childhood look like? Um, a typical forest of my childhood um, looks like a broadleaf mixed forest with oaks and beech trees. And I remember that there is always one collapsed tree under which, you know, I was... I was digging holes with a good friend of mine. We were hiding all day long. We came back home, dirty, dirty, dirty. And uh, yeah, I was showering, I think, for an hour to get that off me. <laughs> When I think about my childhood, I spend a lot of time in a mixed forest with many beech trees. And I used to be in this like children nature club where we often went to the forest to watch birds and collect yeah herbs and and fruits to to make jam out of it. For example, rosehip, um, which is also my favorite jam. What is your favorite tree species? My favorite tree species. <laughs> there is there is a Celtic tree calendar, and according to the Celtic tree calendar, my tree is a willow tree. And I think that comes very close to my favorite tree species, I guess. Um, when you when you look up the page and you look up this Celtic tree calendar, you can read like what, what the different trees are standing for. And apparently, and, and now Selena might laugh a little bit, the, the willow tree should make me reliable and flexible. <laughs> and although I'm very, very reliable, uh, Selena is still working on my, on my flexibility skills. <laughs> yeah, but you've been getting better. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite tree is the Baobab tree. It hasn't been always that way, but when I was 15, I moved to Senegal with my family. And the Baobab tree is native to Senegal and grows in many places. And it's fascinating. It has the world's biggest trunk. And um, it's also really great to climb on if you manage to, to get on it. And if they are sort of spread next to each other. So, yeah, I would sometimes uh, go with friends and climb around them. What is your favorite non-wood forest product? I do think these are blueberries, probably. I'm amazed by them because you, you have them sometimes in these acidic soils under Pinot Silvestris forests, and you do not expect like such delicious things to grow in such poor soils normally. But it's in the summer, in the late summer, the best add-on for a good ice cream. Um, I am a big fan of natural medicine, and in particular... Bokorn plantain. On German, it's Spitzwegerich. Um, it's native to the Black Forest and it's very useful as a replacement for antibiotics. Frederick and Selina, thank you. Where should our listeners go to find out more about the work you do? Frederick, we don't have our own website yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we do not have our own website. Um, I think that the best possibilities to follow up on information is, um, yeah, through it's a webpage, through it's a Facebook, but also through the UNFF um, MGCY Facebook account. So we're frequently also posting all the opportunities we have um, on this webpage. And yeah, if we are implementing larger workshops, We will also communicate this um, on the Facebook channel of um, the United Nation uh, Major Group Children and Youth that has also a separate Facebook page. 
If you are interested in the United Nations Forum on Forest, um, there will be uh, another forum next year in May for information on what this forum is, on what the Global Forest Goals are, or also on what the United Nations Strategic Plan for Forests are that Selena mentioned at the beginning. Try to look up the webpage of the UNFF itself. All the relevant information can be found there. And yeah. Yeah. And if you are interested in really seeing what the UNFF is doing, join us for the next year's conference in New York. Thank you so much, Frederick and Selina, for joining us on this episode. We enjoyed it very much to have you as our guests. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for, for inviting us. It was a pleasure. Um, and yeah. Thank you. Um, take care during these uh, times and uh, see you soon. To find out more about IFSA, go to ifsa.net or you can find us on social media by searching for ifsa.net. All the links we mentioned in this episode are in our show notes. If you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes, reach out to us by emailing podcast at ifsa.net. Join us next time on our journey to a world that appreciates forests. <laughs>